Babs, this shit crazy. Jimmy on a beat, boy. This is the Trophy Room, aka Trophy Room Radio. I am your host, Brett Hammer, wherever you are on this wonderful Monday morning getting back to work. Thank you so much for making me a part of your day. Coming up, ladies and gentlemen, we have a Super Bowl, but why is it being overshadowed by officiating? We will get into the Eagles' semi-underwhelming performance, what happened between Boston and LA in the NBA, and we'll give you an update on Mahomes and Rodgers, and spoiler alert, it doesn't look good. But first, you all already know, it is way, way, way too hard to buy quality graphic tees these days. You look it up, all you get is sketchy third-party products on Etsy or eBay, screen printed onto a Gildan t-shirt, doesn't look good, and none of it's real. Game Changers throwing a wrench into all of that. Game Changers is a real company that puts real quality in the phrase you get what you pay for. They make high-end quality shirts with all your favorite NBA and NFL teams and players, as well as rappers and other culture icons. If you head over to GameChangers.LA, you can use promo code HAMMERTIME23 for $10 off. That's capital H. HAMMERTIME23 for $10 off. Um, Game Changers are making some moves. They just started a VIP program that I got into, which allows some pretty cool perks. But that is all to say that Game Changers is stepping up their game no pun intended i think the website was down over the weekend i haven't checked this morning i'm not sure if it's back up if it's not shoot me a text and i'll uh see what we can do but yeah go use hammer time 23 for ten dollars off i'm wearing my my deon sanders prime time shirt they have the you can't see if you're listening to the podcast but down at the bottom there's like the throwback super bowl logos you have Cowboys, Deion Sanders, and 49ers, Deion Sanders. Super dope shirt, super high quality, absolutely incredible. If you have questions about the sizing, let me know. They do, they are a little bit oversized. I'm wearing a large right now. I'm about 5'11, 185. So that helps you. If not, just shoot me a text. Let me know what you think, and we'll get that all figured out for you. And coming up. We are sponsored by the good people over at Jim Candy. So head over to JimCandyGummies.com as well as their socials on Instagram and TikTok. Go test out the product that is revolutionizing the pre-workout martyr kit. Absolutely incredible. Nice little gummy bears you take right before you go to the gym. Get that pump in. Also, follow me on Instagram and TikTok. I got a couple messages from you guys this week and I... I love it. Anytime y'all hit me up and just let me know what you like about the show, what you don't like about the show. Had a lot of people tilted about my Aaron Rodgers comments and his comparison to Patrick Mahomes. And if that got you upset, then the rest of this show will absolutely leave you livid. But yeah, go follow me on Instagram and TikTok at BHammerTime, the letter B, HammerTime, extra E. Tell your friends to listen to the podcast every Monday and Wednesday. There is video on YouTube now. I don't know if a lot of you knew that, but if you'd rather watch me and my beautiful face and my patchy beard, you go right ahead, go on YouTube. It will be up. It comes up a little bit after because it takes a little bit longer to export, but it will be up soon after the podcast is up. And the podcast, just in case you're not wondering, like you you check later in the day because you don't know, usually the podcast will be up around 10 to 10.30. That's 10 to 10.30 Mountain Time, which is 12 to 12.30 Eastern. However that works for you, but wherever you are, whatever you're up to, or if you're getting to me on a Tuesday or you're getting to me on a Wednesday or on a Thursday, whenever it is, I appreciate you being with me. And we're going to get you through the next little bit of the day. So, we got conference championships that we got to talk about, people. And I feel bad because I feel like they were a little bit underwhelming, if we're being honest. And we'll start with chiefs Bengals because I think we would all agree that was the more entertaining of the two games. Even though I did feel like 
even going into the third quarter, that there was a chance for their San Francisco to overtake this game. But we'll get to we'll get to Chiefs Bengals first because that was the closer of the two. And honestly, my hotter take is for Eagles 49ers, not necessarily this one. Anyone who's ever been a winner hates this. The comment of, oh, well, you just got lucky. Well, yeah, but if that didn't go your way, you wouldn't have won. Or you just had to have every single thing go your way in order to win. Maybe, maybe not. But the mentality of the other team getting lucky and everything going their way, that's the same thing said by every loser ever. No winner sits... When was the last time you saw Tom Brady in a press conference saying, yeah, well, everything just went their way, otherwise we would have won. That's what you say to your little brother when he beats you in Madden or 2K. You say, oh, well, the game did this for you, the game did that for you. That's why you won. Maybe, maybe not. And officiating is going to play quite the theme in today's show because officiating showed up controversially during the Chiefs game, during the Eagles game, and, funny enough, during the Lakers-Celtics game, which we'll get to here in a second. But if, if you talk to Tom Brady, and if you listen to him, one of the things that he talks about success is that success isn't... If you look at life like a test, success isn't getting every single question right. Success is putting yourself in the best position to get every single question right, and some of them you're going to get wrong. But if you're in the right position as many times, like, if you're in the right position more than everybody else, you're going to get those calls more than everybody else, and you're going to get certain opportunities more than everybody else. But not everybody wants to go through what they have to to get put in those positions. Tom Brady will tell you that's one of the greatest indicators of successes. You just put yourself in position as many times as you can to be successful. Like, if you're playing the game and you're waiting for the officiating to make a call to make it go your way, you're probably going to lose the game. Don't wait for the officiating to put you in that position. Put yourself in position. If officiating screws you out of it, that's one thing. If, if, if officiating screws you into it, that's another thing. And the thing that I'm so upset about, and look, I'm not a Chiefs fan. Y'all know this. I don't like the Chiefs. I don't like Kansas City. I Honestly, a lot of it stems from I just don't like Nick Wright and how obnoxious he is about them. But guess what? Patrick Holmes is the best quarterback in the league. Travis Kelsey is the best receiver in the league. And probably the best tight end. Andy Reid's the best offensive head coach in the league. And the Chiefs are probably the best team in the league. I don't like any of that, but that doesn't make it any less true. Everyone's upset yesterday for a couple of reasons. The first one being the third down call. But again, if you read the report, the clock was supposed to stop because it was an incomplete pass on that third down in the fourth quarter, third and nine, which the Chiefs got to do a redo and ended up scoring as a result. But if you look back, the line of logic is not like this for the officiating. It made sense. They... if it. It went the way that it was supposed to go. If you don't know what happened, here's what happened. Play previous is an incomplete pass. The clock's running. The refs say they tried to stop the clock, and it didn't stop. And they tried to stop the play. It didn't stop. So after the play was over, they went back and said, Hey, clock was never supposed to run, so we have to go back and redo this play. Again, you might not like it, but the 
line of logic makes sense. It's not blown out of proportion. And then the other one that people are getting upset about that doesn't make any sense to me is people are upset that on that Patrick Mahomes run, he gets pushed out of bounds at the end, and there's a late hit, uh, unnecessary roughness call, I believe. And then they got to move up, kick a field goal that they probably would have missed from the previous distance. Couple issues with this. First of all, smart players don't make excuses like that. That's the first thing. The second thing is, rule number one of playing an elite quarterback in the NFL, rule number one, the amount of time that you give them on the clock at the end of the game is zero, zero, zero. That's what you leave. We've learned that with Aaron Rodgers. We learned that with Tom Brady. If you haven't learned it with with, uh, Patrick Holmes by now, that's your own fault. And guess what? No Tyreek Hill to run down the field for him. They did it anyway. So don't give him the time. The second thing is, it's not like Joe Burrow and the Cincinnati Bengals didn't have an opportunity to drive down the field. They actually were in control of the game. The issue was the Cincinnati Bengals offensive line was a joke yesterday. And as a result, they got their opportunity. This is not like... (coughs) I think people are looking at this like it was NFL overtime where both teams didn't get an opportunity. Only Patrick Mahomes did. And if Joe Burrow would have had one, then they would have won. Fun fact, everybody, Joe Burrow did get an opportunity. The Cincinnati Bengals got a number of opportunities, and guess what? They couldn't handle the heat. They got kicked out of the kitchen. Joe Burrow got blitzed, rushed, moved out of the pocket every single play because the offensive line was terrible. Now, you can say that that's because of injuries. You can say that's because the Bengals just haven't done a good enough job at fixing the offensive line, which I think that there's truth to. And we'll get to that later on in the show. But either way, you want to talk about what's fair and what's not fair? Joe Burrow had his opportunity to drive down the field to prevent Patrick Mahomes from winning the game. And he couldn't do it. That's the cold, hard truth. The Bengals got a shot. They didn't do it. Here's my third and final point just about the officiating on that play alone. And this, I think, is the most obvious. And I'm not a Chiefs homer. I actually dislike the Chiefs. But guess what? Again, the only people who make these excuses are people who have low situational awareness. And people with low situational awareness don't tend to be that successful. Because you have to understand the minute details of the situation you're in at all times. And if you understand the game, look, we can argue about what we like and what we dislike, but the rule is there. You can argue about getting rid of the rule, but you can't get rid of the rule in the middle of the game. You can't protest the rule in the middle of the game. I get that maybe you felt like it was a soft call, but you'll get a you'll get a late hit call if you lay down on the quarterback the wrong way after you get pushed into him. You don't think that they're going to call that when you knock a quarterback who's already injured in the back out of bounds. Look, here's the situation, folks. I get that people say, I don't want to see the game come down to a penalty. Sure. But you do realize... The officials can't call it if it doesn't happen. Now, sometimes it does happen and they don't call it. But if it doesn't happen, they cannot call it. If you don't hit Patrick Mahomes out of bounds, they can't call it. And as a result, 
smart situational awareness situational awareness and if i'm patrick Mahomes, i'm flopping on that i am if you're touching me while i'm out of bounds and i know that we can get a couple extra yards to get a field goal worst worst case scenario they don't call anything for me falling on the ground and we got to kick a deeper field goal even if patrick Mahomes flopped i still respect it because that's a winning mentality i don't care what anyone has to say don't put the game in the officiating's hands that's going to be a big theme of today's show Here's the other thing I have to say about the Bengals. I was watching the game at a friend's house yesterday, my girlfriend's house, and Travis Kelsey comes on and just starts going, talking about um, sit down and shut your mouth and then uh, fight for your right to party and all this stuff. And my girlfriend's mom goes, he's absolutely crazy. And I said, yeah, but maybe not. This point was brought up to me yesterday, I, and I and I tend to agree with it. And this this guy said he said I hate people who talk smack that don't have to back it up, and I agree. And the Cincinnati mayor, I haven't checked, but he better be pulling out all the receipts today. He better be stepping up and bringing in some accountability because you talked so much trash. He said that there was a paternity test to see whether or not Joe Burrow was Patrick Mahomes' daddy. He said that it was Burrowhead Stadium. All of this stuff. And the Bengals couldn't back it up. The Bengals got absolutely locked out. For some people saying this is one of the best receiving cores in the NFL. They got absolutely bottled. Past five yards. Joe Burrow was checked down central yesterday. And then on top of that, they can block Chris Jones to save their life. Which, funny enough... Chris Jones, I believe, coming into yesterday's game and the postseason the last three years, zero sacks. He's not a postseason sack guy. That's how bad the Bengals' offensive line was. This, to me, I felt like was what the Bengals' team should have looked like last year, and I'm not sure why that it didn't. And the point is being brought up, should Joe Burrow be worried that he can never win a Super Bowl in Cincinnati? And that's a tease because that's a story we'll get to later in the show. The other story we're going to get to is don't complain to me about the Chiefs because they did a lot with a lot less. All right, 49ers, Eagles, people. Eagles. 49ers, Eagles. So I teased you at the top of the show that I think the Eagles underperformed and they were a little underwhelming for my liking. Which is obviously true because I'm saying it. But the first thing I want to say is that we got robbed. We got robbed of an incredible NFC title game. And I actually think Brock Purdy was in the best position to lead that fight. But guess what? Hassan Reddick comes off. If you didn't watch the game, Hassan Reddick comes off the right side. Hassan Reddick is second in the NFL in sacks. Second to only to Nick Bosa. Comes off the right side, blows up Brock Purdy, gets him right in that split second window when you're moving the ball forward and you're whipping your elbow. Just cracked it. Just stopped it right in its tracks. Ball flies up, becomes a fumble. Eagles turn it over, or Eagles pick up the turnover. Here's the issue with that. You go back and watch that play. Look who was blocking Hassan Reddick. You'll find out it was a tight end. I don't remember if it was George Kittle or not. But I don't know how you plan on blocking 
the second sack leader in the NFL, the team leading the league in sacks, third most all-time in sacks, with a tight end. That's, that is a right tackle's job. Or it's a combo block. But either way, if you're going to let that happen, that lets me know a little bit more than I need to about you. It sucks, though, because if everyone would have been healthy in yesterday's NFC title game, I would have been so much fun. But once again, uh, 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 people are upset about officiating. Now, of all the officiating debacles that we're going to talk about on the show today, that one probably is the most critical and most black and white. Because maybe the maybe the Lakers one is also, but the the issue with the Lakers one is you could argue you don't know if he makes the free throws. We don't know what does happen. With the Eagles one, it was fourth down on that catch. One-handed catch by Devontae Smith that turned out not to be a catch. And Devontae Smith did an incredible job saying, hey, let's go, let's go, hurry up. But it definitely wasn't a catch, but that non-catch led to the first touchdown of the game, which if you go back and remember the first half, they went back and forth for a while after that, and it was 7 nothing. So Christian McCaffrey tied it up at 7-all. So you do wonder if the Eagles don't get that. Because that was on the Eagles' first possession. You have to wonder if that's not called a touchdown. They have to punt. You wonder if you get the same situation where Hassan Reddick comes off the edge and it takes Brock Purdy out of the game. Again, it's it, it doesn't help anyone to go, what if, who knows, I don't know. But it is interesting to think about the situation and the sequence of events would have been much different if that touchdown or if that one-handed catch is called back to be not a catch and the 49ers picked the ball up at the 45-yard line, I believe. Really interesting to think about. But again, the biggest factor for the Eagles yesterday was, like I told you, it was the offensive line. They did an incredible job. And look, I'm still not sold I don't know if Nick Sirianni is the guy. I don't know how good of a coach he is. I do wonder if some of that's just Howie Roseman has put together an incredible squad, which I think is very likely. But they did an incredible job. If you go back, so I think Jalen Hurts' shoulder is a little bit injured. As I, I didn't think so after the Eagles game or the Giants game, but then watching yesterday... Just, they didn't allow, they didn't ask him to do a whole lot. And granted, they didn't really have to because the offensive line in the run game was so good. But if you look at the way that they confused Nick Bosa, they did a really good job of throwing off that D-line, which has been the focal point of that defense. Because they ran a lot of read option, a lot of zone read. They did a lot of read option with a lead block. They did a lot of RPO that looked like a read option where Dallas Goddard would come from one end of the line to come chip Nick Bosa, and then they'd hit him. They had Nick Bosa seeing stars. He had the little squiggly lines over his head like in a cartoon because he had no idea what was going on. And neutralizing Nick Bosa, again, people, the number, the two biggest things on defense... 
edge rusher, lockdown corner, or lockdown secondary in general. But if you throw off that edge rusher, who is the best edge rusher in the NFL, you throw off the timing for the rest of the game. And as a result, that D-line could not keep up with the RPO, with the play action, with the read option. But this fearsome 49er front yesterday, they looked absolutely frightened. And it was so cool to see the Eagles come up and put a whooping on the 49ers. The issue is, though, it was a little underwhelming. And the obvious reason being Brock Purdy. But I think the bigger reason on top of that is you saw this is the difference between an NFL quarterback and a third string to fringe practice squad quarterback being Josh Johnson. And Josh Johnson was cool. He had a nice USFL uh, season last year, but he just couldn't ball out in the NFL in the NFC Championship yesterday. Which isn't shocking because I, I, I don't think it says that much about Josh Johnson, but it does say a lot about Brock Purdy. Because despite... Josh Johnson having technically more experience than Brock Purdy, they couldn't get anything done with Josh Johnson. And not only could they not get anything done, he couldn't even hold on to the football. And he was getting lit up left and right. He was so scared out of his mind. The Eagles owned him. But that to me is why I don't think that the performances... Because I think in our heads we're like... Oh, Eagles defense, Georgia Bulldogs dominating TCU the same. And I don't know if that's true, A, because college and NFL are different, but on top of that, the 49ers really did limp into this game. And I'm not a huge guy for moral victories, but the 49ers were down to their fourth, basically fifth string quarterback at that point. And they limped into an NFC title game. And why I can't remember the GM for the 49ers who played safety for the Buccaneers. I don't remember why I can't remember his name right now. But him and Kyle Shanahan, John Lynch, have done an A-plus-plus plus all-time job at building this roster. Because they've understood you get a smart adult quarterback... You don't pay the quarterback very much. You afford to be able to pay for everyone else. And you get a lights-out defense. And you can walk anywhere in this league. And they did. And so I'm not always in favor of saying, well, you lost, but you still have chips left on the table to count. But they really do. And the 49ers, there's a reason that every single year we think the 49ers are going to be out because they don't have a quarterback. And every single year, they prove us wrong. All right. We'll get back to the NFL in a little bit here. But let's go Let's go Lakers-Celtics. So, I think in life, adjusting and willingness to adjust... Adjust Adjustment is a skill. Some people have it, some people don't. But if you can adjust, you can roll with the punches a lot of times. And whether or not the game changes in the ring, you'll be ready. Whereas some people, they are very stiff and straight-necked... And if the game changes in the ring, they're losing. Because they only know how to stick to one game plan. They don't know how to take who they are at their strengths and put it wherever they are on the field. 
and I think that's true of businesses as well. Businesses who adjust and adapt to the new climate, sometimes the crazy climate that we live in, those are the ones that stay, those are the ones that succeed. The NBA needs to continue to be that. Sometimes the NBA has been too changing. But I do have a couple of issues, not with in-game officiating, but just in general, outside of the game. Because I do think... I have, I've always had an issue with this. Logically, it's never made sense to me. Break this down for me if you can. But if you have a challenge, right? Because in the NBA and NFL, you all you get one challenge per half, I believe, right? Or may, I can't remember. But you get one challenge. And if the officiating gets the call wrong, or I think that they got the call wrong, I have the ability to throw down my flag and say, hey, I think this was screwed up. And if I'm right, then I get to keep my timeout. And if I'm wrong, then I get to, I lose my timeout, which makes sense because you theoretically would have wasted time going back to review a play that was right in the first place. So therefore you don't get an opportunity to stop play later in the game. I get that. But my issue is if I challenge it, you did your job wrong and I fixed it for you. And you find that out after the fact. Why do I lose my challenge? Shouldn't I get it again? Because I was right. You did your job wrong. Now, I don't get the opportunity to challenge again. Which, some could say, well, officiating should just be really good about doing it after the fact, even up in the booth or in, in New Jersey or wherever it is that they review every single play. I agree. But I like the idea of having to challenge, and I like the idea of not challenging every single touch or call made on the field. But here's another thing that needs to be reviewable. The final play. So if you didn't watch the Lakers-Celtics game Saturday night, here's what happened. Really, really fun back and forth game. Patrick Beverly goes up, does a put-pack dunk over like three guys to tie the game up, or to go up, and then Jalen Brown goes to the other side, makes a couple shots, tie the game up. Then LeBron, with three seconds left, drives to the basket, Switch layup to the left hand, and as he's finger rolling, gets tapped on the left wrist. As a result, he misses. He has an all-time emotional breakdown. I've never seen someone that big throw that big of a temper tantrum. It was really sad. I thought Patrick Beverly took over his body for a second because he was pouting on the ground like a child. I won't say justifiably so. He had reason to be upset. He didn't have reason to act like a little child, but he did anyway. But LeBron should have been shooting free throws, and on top of that, LeBron, the officiating should have been able to say, to look at the final shot of the game and determine, hey, that was a foul. I don't think you should be able to determine replay all fouls all the time, and I get that if you do that, then you open the door to it. But let's be honest. The final shot of the game, and there's that blatant of a foul, I'm okay with that being reviewable. If it's a shooting foul, and I know that you're going to get to shoot free throws, and you're just going to leave the game in free throw hands, then I'm fine with that. But here's what I have to say about it. The first thing, this is, this is obvious, and it's a high school coaching classic. But don't let the game come down to officiating or the lack thereof. Don't be in a one-possession game. And the reason I say that with the Lakers is, which is my second reason, this team, um, in 
terms of points in the paint and how they played in the paint was night and day between when they added Hachimura, Hachimura and Anthony Davis into the mix. Now the question is, is Anthony Davis going to stay healthy? And Hachimura is only going to be complimentary. He's not going to be an all-world beater. I just don't think this team is designed that way. I think Dwight Howard did a lot for them paint presence-wise. Dwight Howard's not there anymore. The third is, to add on top of all of that, following the Lakers' track record this season, especially in terms of how they played in the paint, and even if you watch how they guarded Jason Tatum Saturday night, they had no business being in this game anyway. Yet they sent it into overtime with the best team in the National Basketball Association against who I think is going to be MVP in Jason Tatum because I think he's the best player in the league. But I just I don't think this team was designed to compete with the Celtics anyway, and they did a really good job. Again, you want to win that game, and they go into lose in overtime. But also, here's the other part that people are missing. You go back. I, I won't read it for you, but go if read the referee's official statement after the game. They came back and said that they made a mistake. Fine, normal, I get it. But on top of that, read it looking for sarcasm because you'll find it, I promise. They gave a little tongue-in-cheek to LeBron and the Lakers. And I think part of that is because nobody likes how to be told how to do their job publicly. And if you look at... Uh, there's a video that came out after the game because we didn't get it in-game. Patrick Beverly, after the foul, goes and grabs a camera and walks it over to one of the refs to show him where he missed the call. Patrick Beverly immediately got teed up. I think the referees were a little sick of the Lakers' attitude, specifically Patrick Beverly. And I think even after the fact, I don't think I think they missed the call. But I think they didn't feel bad about it because they know the attitude that the Lakers bring. All right, next item of business. The Green Bay Packers, according to Adam Schefter, have said that pull this up league sources are convinced that the Packers would prefer to trade Aaron Rodgers this offseason per Adam Schefter reasons for that being financial state of the team right now and feelings of both the team and the quarterback so here's what I'm hearing both parties know they don't want to be in a relationship anymore they're just trying to figure out what's the best way for us to not make this a public meltdown and for us to both get something back in this This is the biggest issue that I see with the Packers is Aaron Jordan Love has been in the league. This is his third year. He's going into his fourth year. Right? So you're getting to the point where you're basically at the end of his deal, kind of a fifth-year option, and you don't know what you have in him. And the unfortunate part is, what if he goes out and balls out his first year? Or he balls out his fifth year. He, he warms up his fourth year, balls out his fifth year, and then he's like, well, you guys wouldn't let me play for the entire time that I was here. And it's not like I was here to be mentored because Aaron Rodgers was a jerk. So you know what? I'm out. And then he goes to the market. 
you don't know what you have in Jordan Love or the opposite. He goes out and he sucks. And now you realize that you wasted the last three to four years picking Aaron Rodgers over Jordan Love just to find out Jordan Love didn't have anything anyway. The issue with the Packers is they don't really know what they want to do. They're afraid of being alone, which we've talked about before, but I'm not at all shocked that they're ready to trade Aaron Rodgers. But I also feel like we've heard this story before. We've seen this story every offseason since Jordan Love was drafted. Justifiably so for Aaron Rodgers to be upset, but on top of that, like, what do you want for the Packers? Because let's be honest, you don't have anything that's wildly promising in terms of Devontae Adams level, star level on the offense. Aaron Jones is good, Quadzilla is good, but you're not winning a Super Bowl. And the unfortunate part is that this division is only getting better. Now, the Bears are probably going to regress a little bit because they're probably going to get rid of Justin Fields. That's a story that's on the table right now. They want to trade him. But the Lions are getting better. The Vikings won 12 games this season. Justin Jefferson's not getting any old, or Justin Jefferson's not getting any worse anytime soon. So if I'm the Packers, you got to look at this and say, look, who's willing to give us the most for Aaron that can do the most for us in the future, and then let's just get to our due diligence on Jordan Love because we really don't know what we have at all right now. And maybe the Packers trade for Justin Fields. I don't know. Except I doubt the Bears would want to trade him in division. Either way, if you're the Packers... Stop telling us the same story every single season. I don't care anymore. Either do it or don't. But stop making it a story. And I'm so sick of Aaron Rodgers as well, dude. Look, every single time he comes on the Pat McAfee show, again, I feel like Pat, it, it, we've been stuck in Groundhog Day with Aaron Rodgers for the last three years because every offseason is the same. Every beginning of the season is the same. The only difference is this year he sucked. But, all that is to say, is Groundhog's Day in Green Bay, because the Packers have no idea what they want to do, so they keep coming out and saying, yeah, we're unsure about Aaron Rodgers, hoping that somebody will be dumb enough to give the farm. But guess what? Nobody gives the farm to the guy who's desperate, because the guy who's desperate, they know, will take hay on the floor over the entire barn just because it's something. And the Packers are reeking of desperation right now. So now it's time for the segment where I do the same segment every single show and you feel like you're living Groundhog Day with me where I tell you, this is how you build a championship team in the NFL. Super teams are overrated in the NFL. Fun fact, people. It's, it, it just doesn't work. Going to get the top three guys at every position, A, isn't super feasible because money is different in the NFL, and B, it just doesn't work out. Personality-wise, you can't afford to pay everybody, you can't get everybody targets, can't everybody touches. The Eagles and the Chiefs are the perfect example of how you build a championship team. The AFC, and I think this is honestly pretty respective of, which we talked about a little bit last week. The AFC is a lot different than the NFC. Because if you want to talk about building a super team, Chargers did that this year. And I feel how I feel. 
about the Chargers GM and how I feel about Brandon Staley, putting all that star power together hasn't yielded them anything. Whereas the NFC is, look, we don't pay our guy, our quarterback, that much, so we can afford to stay under that 7% salary cap limit if you want to win an AFC championship game. Told you that the last week. So then we have enough money to pay. There's a reason that the Eagles hit the quarterback more than anybody else this year. Because they have Ndamukong Sue, Javon Hargrave, Jordan Davis, um, uh, Josh Sweat, Fletcher Cox, Ndamukong Sue. Like, they have all of these guys, and they can afford James Bradbury, Darius Slay, uh, Miles Sanders, A.J. Brown. Because it's why they're not paying a quarterback. Now, you have to wonder what that looks like. Because regardless of whether or not the Eagles win a Super Bowl, Jalen Hurts is going to want to up on his contract. Even though I do think at every step of the road, Jalen Hurts has proved to be different mentally than every quarterback that we've seen in terms of, you know what, you're not going to start me at Alabama? I'm not even going to throw a fit. I'm going to leave, and I'm going to ball out, and I'm not going to be petty about it. Then he gets to Oklahoma, balls out. People really don't still respect him, even though he'd been to two national championships, and he says, you know what? That's fine. I'm going to go play for the Eagles, even though they don't buy me. I'm going to sit behind Carson Wentz and Nick Foles. And guess what? I'm going to come out of this leading us to a Super Bowl with a different offensive coordinator every year in my first three years. No one has ever believed in Jalen Hurts, and you've never heard from one word from Jalen Hurts about it. So to me, I look at Jalen and I say, if there was ever a guy in the NFL... To not command, I need this much money to feel validated. If there was ever a guy to give a team a discount to do the Tom Brady experience, I could see it being Jalen Hurts. But regardless, these are how you build teams. You either get a Josh Allen, Joe Burrow, Patrick Mahomes, and then you just kind of piece everything together after that. But again, I think we would all agree, even the Chiefs are a little bit of an anomaly, and I don't know that you can necessarily build it, because Andy Reid, Travis Kelsey, Tyreek Hill, Patrick Mahomes were the perfect marriage in terms of an offense. And even without Tyreek Hill, that trio's still looking pretty menacing. But then you look at the Eagles and the 49ers, that's how you build a football team. You, the quarterback is the most important position in any sport of all of America, but you can't afford to overpay them because if you do... You don't have any money for anybody else, and therefore, you cannot attend the world party known as the Super Bowl. It seems like we have a little bit of an update on the Sean Payton front, uh, indirectly. So Vic Fangio, remember, I think it was a week ago, we got this news that, maybe it was two weeks ago, Sean Payton was putting together a super squad to go out and... Basically be like the the dream team. Is that what they called the team that uh, Kim Kardashian put together? Not Kim Kardashian. Rob, not, I don't know. The only Kardashian who's not famous, who made everyone famous, the lawyer, put together for OJ. This has nothing to do with what I'm talking about. But Sean Payton was putting together this group of coaches to come in as a conglomerate and overtake a team and take them to a Super Bowl. Well... Vic Fangio was supposed to be that defensive coordinator. And guess what? Steven Ross, the Miami Dolphins, 
They just pulled out their checkbook. They paid Vic Fangio big time. And now the Dolphins have a defensive coordinator in Vic Fangio. Sean Payton no longer has a defensive coordinator in Vic Fangio, which makes me think, because I think while Mike McDaniels is an incredible coach, I think Vic Fangio would probably rather have coached with Sean Payton. I'm going to be willing to bet that Vic Fangio got the got the it's all good from Sean Payton to say, look, dude, none of the jobs that we would have wanted are going to open up this year. So go if you can go ahead and get a bag from the Dolphins, which he did, then go ahead and do that. I don't think Sean Payton's coming back to coach this year. We talked about last week. I don't think he wants the Broncos job. He hasn't taken it yet, and the Broncos seem pretty willing to offer it to him. And as a result, I think Sean Payton's going to stay in L.A., stay in TV, and pray to the highest of heavens that the, four, that the Chargers job opens up next year. Because I think that's that's perfect for him. That's what he wants. The other issue is, in order for Sean Payton to go anywhere, these teams who want him would have to give up a lot. And it sounds like the Saints are asking a very high price for Sean Payton to get let out of his deal. Jason Tatum, people. I love me some Jason Tatum. I was thinking about this. So if you didn't remember this, I think it was Friday was the three-year anniversary of us losing the late, great Kobe Bryant. And I love Kobe. I, I, can, I don't know that I can say that I miss him because I never got to meet him personally, but that was my dream because I think Kobe Bryant, to me, was one of the greatest examples in the world of how you work hard despite not always being given the talent or whatever opportunities you needed and just making it work, just willing your way to victory. I think Kobe was a perfect example of that. He was a great example of a father, great example of you can be more than just being a basketball player or whatever it is that you are. You can do incredible things. You can be a writer. You can be a creative. Um, but I think that in this time that we miss Kobe... Kobe reminds me, or maybe vice versa, Jason Tatum reminds me of Kobe more than anyone else that I've seen in the league. And maybe not necessarily in his mentality, because I think Jason Tatum is a little bit more fun-loving than Kobe Bryant is. But if you just watch the way that Jason Tatum plays the game, it is eerily reminiscent of the way Kobe played the game. And the ironic part is that he plays for the Celtics while Kobe spent over half his life playing for the Lakers. But if you just look at his jump shot, how straight arm, how straight lined it is, the way he attacks the mid range, his killer instinct in the end of games, the way he wants to take over. The one thing I've always loved about Jason Tatum, and I've always said this, and I felt this way as soon as we saw Jason Tatum dunk on LeBron in the 2019 Eastern Conference Finals. 2018 Eastern Conference Finals, I apologize. Jason Tatum's not afraid of anyone. And I think he got a little about it, a little bit of that from Kobe. And so it was cool watching him play against the Lakers on Saturday night and just kind of getting flashes with the Lakers jersey laid over top of his Celtics jersey. Just because the way that he moves, the way he plays the game is so reminiscent of Kobe. To me, I think it's the closest thing mechanics-wise that we have. And it's just cool to see. 
um, this isn't a huge deal, but a lot of you got tilted last week, like I said, about my Aaron Rodgers, Patrick Mahomes video, where I cut that little snippet and I told you that Mahomes and Aaron Rodgers are in the same place right now. Well, guess what? Aaron Rod- Patrick Mahomes has now been to three times as many Super Bowls as Aaron Rodgers. And you could say, well, Aaron Rodgers has three times as many MVPs as Patrick Mahomes. That's fine. Because at the end of the day, the reason Joe Montana and Tom Brady are where they are isn't because of MVPs. It's because of Super Bowls. Because guess what? You don't have to be you don't have to compete. You don't have to win the most games to get the MVP. You just have to look the best. Um I just think it's fun. I was looking at uh Aaron Rodgers playoff record and Patrick Mahomes playoff record. Uh so Aaron Rodgers is 12 and 10 in the playoffs in his career. 12 wins, 10 losses. He has as many losses as Mahomes has wins. And Mahomes is 10 and 3 in the playoffs. So Mahomes, 10 wins to Aaron Rodgers, 12, and 10 wins to Mahomes, 3. And guess what? A lot of you want to say, well, guess what? Mahomes always gets to play home playoff games. And I agree with you. Look, I don't like Mahomes. I just think that the truth is the truth and facts are facts. Patrick Mahomes going to his third straight suit or third Super Bowl in his career. Guess what? Six of those playoff wins come from behind. Patrick Mahomes knows how to win. He's a winner, he's elite, and I think he'll probably win MVP this year. I believe he's number one in the odds. He's going to win it again. So then he'll have two MVPs, three Super Bowl appearances, two Aaron Rodgers, one Super Bowl appearance, and three MVPs. And if Mahomes wins the Super Bowl, then he would have one win shy of Aaron Rodgers' playoff win and double the Super Bowl wins. I just think that Aaron Rodgers is a perfect example of an anomaly in life where you can be a jerk not show up to practice, not do all the things that you're supposed to, and still get away with certain things. Aaron Rodgers is a great example of that. Aaron Rodgers is not most people. He's one of the more unique anomalies anomalies in all of sports and in all of life because that doesn't work most places. The last thing that I wanted to say, because we'll get to the Super Bowl on Wednesday. Obviously, we have two weeks to talk about it. So we'll obviously talk about the Super Bowl next week. I worry a little bit about uh, Chiefs racked up a lot of injuries, and everybody got a little banged up. I mean, Kelsey came in with back spasms. Mahomes obviously came in with an ankle injury. I think it's so incredible. People want to talk about the Chiefs this and the Chiefs that. you got to remember... They came in here, the only reason they were able to drive down the field and beat the Bills last year, 75% of that reason, maybe not the only reason, was because of Tyree Kill. Tyree Kill was the knockout punch. And Patrick Mahomes has become the knockout punch. But they came in here with no Tyree Kill, and injured Travis Kelsey, and injured Mahomes, and injured Kadarius Toney, and an injured Michael Hartman. Everyone counted my homes out, and they went ahead and won it anyway. I hope everyone gets healthy for Sunday because I don't want to get reminiscent vibes of the Bucks Chiefs game where 
tackles were injured. Mahomes had the turf toe, and they just they had him on fire because that Bucks defense very eerily reminiscent of this Eagles defense. So that's all I gotta say. On Wednesday, we will get into whether or not Joe Burrow needs to be a little bit concerned about whether or not he can win a Super Bowl in Cincinnati and why him and Josh Allen are pretty similar situations right now. As always, thank you so much. Thanks for making me a part of your Monday. Go follow me on Instagram and TikTok at the Hammer Time. Make sure to watch the pod on YouTube. Make sure to tell your friends about the show. I really appreciate it. And then, yeah, go ahead and treat yourself, whoever your team is, wherever they are. Go to GameChangers.LA. Use promo code HammerTime23 for $10 off. And we will be back with you on Wednesday. Cheers. Whoa.